Hey there, and thanks for tuning in to a message from New King Church. We're a church located in South Burlington, Vermont, and our prayer is that this resource would help you find and follow Jesus. If you want to know more about our church and the ministries we have, check us out at newkingchurch.com. My name is Grace, and I'll be reading from Genesis 26 this morning. And when I'm finished reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you could all respond with thanks be to God. Now there was a famine in the land besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Gerar and Abimelech, king of the Philistines. And the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Dwell in the land of which I shall tell you. Sojourn in this land, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring I will give all these lands, and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven, and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws." So Isaac settled in Gerar, and when the men of the place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister, for he feared to say, my wife, thinking, lest the men of this place should kill me because of Rebekah, because she was attractive in appearance. When he had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked out of a window and saw Isaac laughing with Rebekah, his wife. So Abimelech called Isaac and said, behold, she is your wife. How then could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I thought, lest I die because of her. Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might easily have lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech warned all the people, saying, Whoever touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. The Lord blessed him, and the man became rich and gained more and more until he became very wealthy. He had possessions of flocks and herds and many servants, so that the Philistines envied him. Now the Philistines had stopped and filled with earth all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of Abraham his father. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Go away from us, for you are much mightier than we. So Isaac departed from there and encamped in the valley of Gerar and settled there. And Isaac dug again the wells of water that had been dug in the days of Abraham his father, which the Philistines had stopped after the death of Abraham. And he gave them the names that his father had given them. But when Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of spring water, the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdmen, saying, The water is ours. So he called the name of the well Essek, because they contended with him. Then they dug another well, and they quarreled over that also. So he called its name Sitna. And he moved from there and dug another well, and they did not quarrel over it. So he called its name Rehoboth, saying, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we shall be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. So he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And there Isaac's servants dug a well. When Abimelech went to him from Gerar and his, 
Ahudas, his advisor, and Phicol, the commander of his army. Isaac said to them, Why have you come to me, seeing that you hate me and have sent me away from you? They said, We see plainly that the Lord has been with you. So we said, Let there be a sworn pact between us, between you and us, and let us make a covenant with you, that you will do us no harm, just as we have not, have not touched you and have done to you nothing but good and have sent you away in peace. You are now the blessed of the Lord. So he made them a feast, and they ate and drank. In the morning they rose early and exchanged oaths. And Isaac sent them on their way, and they departed from him in peace. That same day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well that they had dug, and said to him, We have found water. water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is Beersheba to this day. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Good morning. We're going to break down every single one of those verses, line by line, word by word, in Hebrew. Uh, now, the, um, I, I, there's a lot in today's passage. Um, there are going to be a lot of nuggets, okay? And, and here's the way that God typically uses his word and uses sermons to impact lives. It, it, it's not that you're going to leave here and you're going to remember every single nugget that this text contains. It's not that you're going to leave here and you're going to remember every single point that I bring up. But, but something is going to strike your heart. Something that is in this passage, something that I talk about, something that I say, it's going to strike your heart and you're not going to be able to stop thinking about it. And you're going to go home and you're going to chew on it. And that's going to be a seed that's, that's in your life, and it's going to bear fruit in your life. So that's what we're, let, let's stop, and let's just pray one more time that, that, that God would do that very thing, that he would speak one or two things out of all that you hear, and that it would strike your heart, and that it would change you. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Oh, it's so powerful. And thank you for uh, your, your people and the joy of worshiping together, uh, to lifting high the name of Jesus. Lord, I ask that you would speak clearly and pointedly to us, each and every person here. Lord, to those that are here and they're, they're seeking um, some understanding, they don't have a relationship with you yet, God, speak to them. To those that come this morning carrying something heavy, uh, that are going through something really hard, Lord, speak to them. To those that are struggling with some sin and they cannot seem to gain victory over that sin and it is beating them down day after day or week after week, speak to them. To those who are rejoicing today, who are, who are just, uh, who came skipping in here, Lord, only encourage them all the more. We pray it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, so this, this chapter is, is about what it looks like for God to be with you and to bless you. That's, that's what we see in this chapter is that um, Isaac is blessed by God. God is with him. 
And we might agree, um, those of us who've grown, who've been in the church for a little while, we might agree theologically that God blesses his people. We might agree theologically that he's with his people. But it's another thing entirely to live in such a way that that changes your life, isn't it? And so that's the goal of, of today's sermon. That's the big goal, is that we would, with, along with Isaac, because I think he learns this throughout this story, I think, I think he comes to a place where he really believes it. I, I, my, my hope and my prayer for you this week has been that you would really believe it, that God is with you to bless you, because he is. If you haven't done so already, open up your Bible to Genesis chapter 26. We have a lot to talk about. Um, now, I, I want to catch you up on some context, if maybe it's been a little while or you're new. Um, we're talking about the story of Genesis, which is um, the first book of the Bible. We're, we're, we're now talking about the story of Abraham and his family. And that begins back in Genesis chapter 12 when God first calls Abraham. He tells them that even though Abraham had no children in his old age, that he and Sarah would have children and that God would in fact make them into a great nation through which all the families of the earth would be blessed. That's the beginning of the relationship between God and Abraham's family. Of course, God does give Abraham and Sarah a son in their old age, and they name him Isaac, and that's who we're learning about today. And of the patriarchs, we're given the least information about Isaac. Um, The majority of his life story is told in this chapter, what we just heard read. So what do we know about Isaac? So far, um, when Isaac was a young man, uh, you'll remember that God calls Abraham to sacrifice Isaac on the Mount of the Lord in Genesis 22. And, um, and as you already know, Abraham, he's a man of incredible faith. And God had told him that through Isaac, uh, he would bless the nations of the earth. So he believes that if God wants me to sacrifice him, he's going to raise him from the dead. We learn that in Hebrews eleven nineteen. So, so Abraham and Isaac go together on top of this mountain. And they build an altar there. And Abraham puts his son on the altar Isaac, you'll remember, is a young man when this takes place, and his father a very old man. And it's clear because of that 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 Isaac willingly gives himself up, and he climbs onto the altar. As we think about Isaac, we need to remember this event, which would have had an incredibly shaping uh, impact uh, on his life. This would have been a moment that that he would have never forgotten, that would have marked him for all of his days. The angel of the Lord stops Abraham from sacrificing Isaac. It was a test to see that that he really feared the Lord, is what the angel said. Now I know you fear God. And and it was a test of his devotion and his love for the Lord. And then after that, the Lord speaks to Abraham in Genesis 22, 16 through 18. And he says, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you've done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Again and again, we read that God's covenant promise to Abraham is that one, he'll bless him. Two, he'll give him a great multitude of offspring. 
Three, he will give his offspring a land to inhabit. And four, he will bless all of the nations of the earth through his offspring. In Genesis 25, um, Abraham dies. And in, uh, in Genesis 25, 11, we're told that after the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son. And, and that is to say that he transferred the blessing, the special blessing that was on Abraham to Isaac. We might say that he placed his favor upon Isaac. In other words, he determined to do good for him, to protect him, to direct him, and to provide for him so that the promise could be fulfilled through him and through his offspring. Um, This brief account that we have of Isaac's sojourn in the land of promise is meant to prove to us that that is indeed true, that God has transferred his blessing to Isaac. Um, So I want to walk through this chapter and give you six scenes um, and, and explain what's happening. And as I go through it and explain it, I'm going to draw out some nuggets, but then we're going to look at a few um, take-home points beyond that. Um, so scene number one, this is verses one through five. We're going to call the famine and the promise. Moses tells us that there is a famine in the land, which forces Isaac to leave Beer Lahai Roy in search of food and water. He heads toward Egypt, which would have been watered by the Nile. It's the same thing that his father Abraham had done uh, when there was a famine in his day. But on his way to Egypt, before he leaves the promised land, he's passing through Gerar, the, the land of the Philistines, and he command, God commands him to stay, to remain there in Gerar, and not to go to Egypt. Um, And that if he will stay in Gerar, it says that God will be with him and bless him. So as if the famine was not already uh, enough of a test, remaining in Gerar was quite another test of Isaac's faith, since the famine was in Gerar as well. And the food and water would have been scarce. But to encourage Isaac to obey, God reminds him in verse 5 of his father's obedience. Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. God is saying, remember how your father obeyed me and how he was rewarded for his obedience. And then we see the promise in verses 3 and 4. The same promise that God had made to his father Abraham. That he would bless him. That he will give him a great multitude of offspring. That he will give his offspring a land to inhabit and that he will bless all the nations of the earth through his offspring. And so it's likely been somewhere between 30 and 40 years since Isaac heard God promise his father those same things on the mountain of the Lord. Scene 2. Scene 2, verses 6 through 11. Isaac's sin and God's protection. If you're familiar with the story of Abraham, you'll remember that when Abraham traveled during the famine of his day. He told both Abimelech and Pharaoh that Sarah, his wife, was his sister in order to protect himself, which placed Sarah in terrible danger. Um, Now here in verses 6 and 7, Isaac commits the same grievous sin. All through the scriptures, we see that people are prone to, to following the pattern of sin that their parents uh, fell into. 
And whether we realize this reality or not, the same is true for us if we're not careful. Um, I, I would say that it would do us well to, to know what are the patterns of sin that, that my parents fell into so that I can guard against falling into those same sins. Um, Isaac's sin is unthinkable to us, but the reality is that our sin is just as wicked. I want to make that really, really clear. It's, it's so easy to look at another person's sin, whether that's in the Bible or a friend or a family member or, some, or, or a spouse or, or a neighbor and think that is so wicked. And the reality is that, friends, our sin is just as wicked in the eyes of the Lord. That we, we have pride that is just as wicked. We have selfishness that is just as wicked. But here's the thing. In spite of Isaac's great sin, God graciously protects Rebekah. And before she's taken by one of the Philistine men, uh, Abimelech sees Isaac and Rebekah flirting. It says he, he laughed it's, uh, his name means he laughs, so this is a play on words. Um, but, but he sees them flirting, and he goes, oh, those, those, I can tell when I see two people that are married. They're married. And um, he, he brings Isaac in, and he says, I can't believe you almost brought guilt upon us. This is an indictment against Isaac that Abimelech seems to fear God, at least in this respect, more than Isaac does. Um, as you read the story uh, and, and are taken aback by the offensive nature of Isaac's sin, isn't it remarkable that God doesn't remove his blessing from him? That he doesn't just say, I am done with you, but he remains faithful to him. And it's astonishing to think that for those who are believers in Jesus, our sin, though it will have real consequences, does not remove God's blessing and favor from our lives. Scene 3, verses 12 through 16. Isaac prospers against all odds. So in the midst of this famine, we, lo- we learn that Isaac becomes a powerful man. He reaps 100 times more than he sows in the same year. He becomes very wealthy while those around him are struggling. Verse 12 tells us that it is a direct result of God's blessing on him. God keeps his promises to his people regardless of the circumstances. He is not deterred by famines or any other circumstances for that matter. Whatever things seem to stand in the way of God working in your life, faith sees that even when the odds are stacked against you, God can still work, and he will still work on your behalf. Isaac's wealth does not go unnoticed by the Philistines. Rather than making him more popular with the world around him, God's goodness toward Isaac makes those around him hate him And so filled with jealousy, Abimelech sends Isaac away. Scene four, hardship in the land. Now being sent away from Gerar was yet another test for Isaac, since in Gerar he had been so thoroughly taken care of. But remember, God had commanded him not to go to Egypt. And so he has to find water in the midst of a famine, 
for his household, for his flocks and his herds in some other way. And that means digging a well. For those living in the arid land of Philistine, of Philistine finding a well like, was like finding gold. And in the midst of a famine, it's like finding gold in, in the middle of the Great Depression. So Isaac goes to the Valley of Gerar. He digs again the wells that had been dug by his father Abraham, which it says the Philistines had filled after Abraham's death. And I think that there is a spiritual lesson here for us. Um, he comes to the wells that his faithful father had already labored over only to find them filled with dirt. Now, maybe you were raised in a godly home. Some of you have, have godly mothers or godly fathers or godly grandparents who prayed for you, took you to church, taught you the Bible. Or perhaps you used to be a prayer warrior, or, or perhaps there was a time when you loved and dug deeply into God's word. Abraham's past faithfulness was a great blessing to Isaac and many others, but now those wells were gone. What we must learn that Isaac learned in the Valley of Gerar is that yesterday's faithfulness is not sufficient for today's famine. That we must dig again the wells of past faithfulness. That we must dig again the wells of prayer. We must dig again the wells of Scripture study and Scripture memorization. Remember what you did at first. Return and do it again. If your parents prayed diligently for you, pray diligently for your children. Dig wells of faithfulness for today's famine. The message in this section is that God was providing. He found the place where the wells were, and that was a great blessing. He knew where to dig, right? But he still had to dig. He still had to work. God was providing, but it didn't mean he wasn't going to encounter some resistance. The men of Gerar claimed the wells for themselves. They forced Isaac to keep moving and to keep persevering in search of a place for his household and his animals. Encountering, encountering resistance is not necessarily an indicator that you are not in God's will or even that God isn't blessing you. And it's certainly not an indicator that God has left you. Hear me. You will encounter resistance, but through it, he is teaching you. He is training you. He is producing perseverance in you, just as he did in Isaac. So after much perseverance, Isaac finds a well and a place to live where the men of the land do not contend with him, and he calls that well Rehoboth, which means broad places. God faithfully leads Isaac to a fruitful place. Scene number five, verses 23 through 25. Isaac has another encounter with God. In verse 23, Isaac leaves the valley of Gerar and goes to Beersheba, where his father spent much of his uh, life in the land of Canaan. And the first night in Beersheba, God again appears to Isaac. And in verse 24, it says, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you. And multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. 
Now, in this shortened version of the promise to Isaac, the admonition, fear not, for I am with you, is prominent. And in Isaac's first encounter with God, God had said, I will be with you. And in this encounter with God, God says, I am right now with you. And this declaration that God is with him in the present has a profound impact on Isaac's relationship with the Lord. He immediately responds to God in a way he hasn't before by building an altar and calling upon the name of the Lord. These are the intimate acts of worship and prayer. Abraham had done this. He built several altars in the land of Canaan. And in an altar, it was a sacred place of, of worship where an animal sacrifice would be offered to the Lord. However, up until this point, Isaac has not built an altar or offered a sacrifice to the Lord. We should note that the last time an altar was built to the Lord, it was in Genesis 22 when Abraham built the altar for Isaac to be sacrificed upon. We can only guess at the memories and the emotions that Isaac would have experienced as he laid stone upon stone the way his father had taught him to do all those years ago. Perhaps this is why Isaac had avoided the act until this time. It just felt too hard. But now the God of his father, who had protected him and provided for him, had appeared to him a second time and commanded him not to fear with the promise that he was with him. Not just that he would be, but that he was with him now. And Isaac's response was sacrificial worship. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. Scene number six, peace with his enemies. In this scene, something compels Abimelech to travel to Beersheba to make a peace treaty with Isaac. From verse 16 in this story on, it's been nothing but contention with Abimelech and his Men, But now seeing how mighty Isaac has become, Abimelech decides that it would be wise to come and seek peace with this man of God. Whether this Abimelech, it's a title, this Abimelech means uh, my father is king, is the same Abimelech as the one who ruled the Philistines in the days of Abraham, we're not told. But in Genesis 21, at least 50 years earlier, When Abraham was living in Beersheba, the same place, Abimelech came to Abraham and made a peace treaty with him. The climax of this scene is when these pagan men look at Isaac and declare in verse 28, we see plainly that the Lord, it's all caps, Yahweh, has been with you. They may not even believe in Yahweh in the way that is a saving belief. But they can look at his life and say, your life is a testimony that Yahweh is real and that he is with you. It cannot be denied by any, obvious, by any honest observer that God has been with Isaac, though he's gone through ups and downs. And though he may not have always known it, and though he may have doubted it at times, God had been with him. So Isaac prepares a feast, exchanges oaths with the Philistines, and they leave him in peace. And the same day, Isaac's servants come and tell him that they have found another well. So 
Those are our six scenes. To kind of recap, in the beginning of this chapter, Isaac is faced with the hard reality of famine. And at the end of the chapter, we see him prosperous. He has plenty of water, plenty of food, plenty of space to live. He is feasting and he is at peace with his enemies. God has indeed been with him and his favor upon him. Now, this chapter has a lot to teach us. Uh, What does this have to do with us? Everything. Everything, because if you are a Christian, then you are blessed by the Lord. If you are a Christian, then God is with you. If you're a Christian, his favor is upon you. You are in Christ, and every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies is yours, according to Ephesians 1. And he has said that he would never leave you, he would never forsake you, no matter what you go through. His favor and his blessing and his presence is with you. Matthew 28, 20, after giving us the great commission, Jesus promises, behold, I am with you always. Not just when you need him or you think you need him or when you recognize it or when things are going great, always. For how long? He says, to the end of the age. So what can we learn from this story if if God is with us in the same way that God was with Abraham in the same way that God was with Isaac what can we learn from this story I want to give you three things number one knowing and believing that God is with you does not mean an easy life interestingly even though this chapter of Genesis is all about God being with Isaac and God blessing Isaac It is still a story marked by famine and weakness and sin and relational conflict and setbacks and roadblocks and envy. Our lives are no different. Just because he is with us and we are blessed of the Lord, it does not mean that we're going to miss out on all the hardships that this world is full of. Our lives are full of trouble and hardship, and Jesus has told us that it would be so. In John 16, 33, he said, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If there's one thing we can take from Genesis 26, it's that trials and tribulations are no indicator that God isn't with you. Or even, listen to this, or even that he isn't blessing you. The difficulties you have experienced and are experiencing are not because God has abandoned you. He is with you and blessing you in and through your pain. In and through your setbacks, your cancer diagnosis, your financial struggle, as you make hard decisions about your future, when you lose your baby to a miscarriage or a loved one passes away 
or you're rejected for your faith at your workplace, or when the pressures of life become too much for you, he is with you in it. And his blessing and favor are still upon you if you are his child. Contrary to the popular teaching of many false teachers, God's blessing on your life does not mean that you will not suffer. The Bible teaches that we will suffer, but that he will take our suffering and make it into something beautiful. He uses your hardship to shape you and to mold you. There's purpose in your pain. He is shaping you and molding you into the image of Jesus, the suffering servant. In the world, you will have tribulation, but you can still have peace in knowing that he is with you and he's overcome the world. Isaiah 43.2 says, When you pass through the waters, not if, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Trouble and hardship is no indicator that God is not with us. You might be in a famine now, but your God is with you. And whether in this life or the next, you know how the story ends. Your test isn't forever. Your God will get you through. He will prepare a table before you in the presence of your enemies. His plans for you are good to give you a future and a hope. Point number two. Knowing and believing God is with you results in fearless obedience. At the beginning of this story, God tells Isaac that he will be with him, right? And Isaac believes it to a certain extent, right? He, he believes it enough to obey God and remain in Gerar. But he doesn't believe it enough to trust that the Lord will protect him in Gerar, right? Because what does he do? He, in order to protect his own life, to, to save himself, he throws his wife to the wolves. I think he... He knew that God was with him intellectually, but I don't think he believed it deep down. Because we see his unfaithfulness, right? We see the fruit of his unbelief, the fruit of his fear. And his fear is rooted in what? He's not trusting that God will take care of him. He's not trusting that God really is with him. He's, he's believing he's got to do something to save his own neck. Had Isaac wholeheartedly believed the Lord's promise, he wouldn't have resorted to the sin of self-preservation. So what, what is it that you are afraid about, of? What, what is it that you worry about? What keeps you up at night? What do you fear? The Lord... Um, not too long ago, he showed me that one of the ways that I fall into fear is through overwhelm. And, um, you know, I, I start to feel like the things that I, that I got to get done or the things that are required of me, it's too much. I can't handle it, right? And, and the Lord showed me that overwhelm is, 
a fear that he's not enough, right? It's rooted in fear that, that he won't be with me, that I cannot do all the things that I've got to do. What about you? What do you fear? Whether it's going into a test at school or fear of death or fear of sharing your faith or fear of what's happening in our culture or what might happen in our world or what might happen in your family. The solution to our fears is always, listen to me, it is always knowing and believing that God is with you. That is the solution to our fears every time in the Bible. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 24. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you. You see it? Let me show you a few other places. Isaiah 41, 10. Fear not, for I am with you. This is the solution to your fear. God is with you. He says, be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How how can I not fear God with what I'm facing? I am with you. Let me show you another one. Exodus 3. Moses has just been told by God that he's being sent to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, to demand that Pharaoh let his people go. And Moses' response is, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God's response to him is, what? But I will be with you. His presence is enough. Let me show you another one. Joshua 1.9. Moses dies. Joshua is his successor. And Joshua is being commanded to take and lead the people of Israel into the land of promise. And it is a terrifying thing. And God says to him, do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Let me show you one more. I could have shown you 20. These are all through the scriptures. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. This is always God's solution to our fears. Big fears, small fears, whether it's just the fear of overwhelm with your day or it's the fear that you might not have many days left. God's solution to your fear and mine is that he is with you to bless you. Point number three. Knowing and believing that God is with us leads us to joyful intimacy. After God appears to Isaac the first time and promises that he would be with him and bless him, he knew that God was with him intellectually. But after God appears to Isaac the second time and declares, I am with you, Isaac believed it deep down 
that God was really with him. Verse 24 and 25, the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with you and will bless you and multiply your offspring for my servant Abraham's sake. In verse 25, so he built an altar there and called upon the name of the Lord. I think these verses are meant to be the climax of the story of Isaac's sojourn in the promised land. We shouldn't read past them too quickly. We shouldn't We should not ignore this spontaneous moment of worship. It is a picture, I believe, of joy-filled pursuit of God. It's like Isaac discovers, really discovers that God is present with him, and it only makes him want more of God. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't say, oh, that's great, you're with me? Cool. It's great to know. No, when he recognizes that God is with him, he presses in for more. Listen, when you get this, when you really get God's presence with you, you will not treat God like a genie in a bottle that you can rub the lamp whenever you need a little something here and there. No, you will respond with awe-filled worship. You will respond with joy-filled praise. You will only want more of him. And I want to get your attention for just a second. I'm almost done. There are times in our lives when a spiritual dullness settles over us. When a spiritual sleepiness takes over. Some have called it dryness or spiritual desert. Sometimes it's described as a hardness of heart or a numbness to God and his word. Other times it's referred to as spiritually sleeping. Whatever you call it, it's a weakening of spiritual life and joy in the Lord. This spiritual dullness will overtake all of us from time to time. And it is a dangerous place to be spiritually. We shouldn't ignore it. We should fight to come out of it. Romans 13, 11, Paul says, You know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The solution to this dullness is awakening. Awakening to the reality of the living God. It's not just an intellectual ascent, but an awakening to the God who is really with us to bless us moment by moment, no matter what we're going through. Nothing breathes color back into life like coming awake to the fact that God really is, and He is with me. He wants to communicate with me, He wants to lead me and teach me, He wants to be my friend. Do you know that? Do you know that this wonderful and awesome and holy God wants to be your friend? That he wants to speak with you? That he wants to interact with you? That he wants to lead your life? Do you know that? I'm not talking about intellectually. I know you know that intellectually. I mean, do you know it? Because when you know it, it changes your life. Suddenly, 
all of life is dripping with meaning, whether you're washing some dishes or mowing the lawn or witnessing to a neighbor. Because God is with you. And he wants to be your friend. He wants to know you and he wants you to know him. Suddenly, you see God at work everywhere around you. Speaking through everything, leading, guiding. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. So like Isaac, when we come awake to the reality that this magnificent and holy God is with us now and his favor is upon us now, and that he wants to be friends with us, we cannot help but respond in worship. So has a dullness settled over you? A spiritual sleepiness? Then pray that God would awaken you Oh, this is what I've been praying for for the last days. That God would awaken me. That I would see him more clearly. Pray for it, friends. Beg him for it. Ask that he would awaken you to his reality. That he is with you always. He loves being with you. And he means to use you for his glory. In Genesis 26, 3, God told Isaac, I will be with you. Verse 24, in Beersheba, God told Isaac, I am with you. And in verse 28, the Philistines tell Isaac, the Lord has been with you. If you are a Christian, you can rejoice in the knowledge that God will be with you no matter what life brings, that God is with you today regardless of what you're going through, that as you look back on your life, God has been with you through it all. Now, in, in closing, I know that some of you are here today and you don't know him yet. You're, you're here and I'm so glad that you're here. You're here because of a spouse or because of a friend, because you're just searching. And I want to, I want to point something else out in this story before we close. (laughs) Isaac's enemies, the Philistines, they reject him early on in the story. They send him away. Isaac says, you hated me when, when they show up. But before long, these enemies realize that he has the Lord on his side and that make and that makes him quite powerful. And they come to see something very wise. They see that it would be foolish and dangerous for them to ignore the blessed of the Lord any longer. And so they make the long journey from Gerar to Beersheba and seek to make a covenant of peace with God's man before it is too late, before they are punished for rejecting him. Isaac, in this part of the story, is a type of Christ, a picture of Christ. Eventually, all the nations of the earth will come and bow before Jesus, the blessed of the Lord, who will judge the living and the dead. But the wise in this life will see him now 
for who he is. They will tremble at the thought that they have rejected him. And they will stop ignoring him and instead they will come to him with urgency and enter into his covenant of peace before it's too late. And they're punished for rejecting him. So run to Jesus, friend. Though you have acted as his enemy and rejected him, he died for you. And he will forgive you And he will pledge himself to you if you will seek safety in covenant with him. Turn from your sins and believe in him. And you can become a friend of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is beyond our comprehension that you would want to be friends with us, that you would go to such great lengths to make it possible for us to be in relationship with you, that you have dealt with our sin, that you, through your son's death and resurrection, have put away our sin. God, thank you. Thank you for what you have done. Thank you that you have brought us into relationship with you and that you will never leave us. Lord, help us to live in light of this fact. Help us to come awake to your real abiding presence with us this week. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.